Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. Together, we're about to explore and deconstruct the shame and stigma surrounding our sexuality. You heard that right. We're going deep on the topics of sex, relationships, spirituality, health, and everything else that impacts our ability to live, love, and orgasm freely. My hope is to shine a light on our shared experiences by normalizing taboo topics and empowering each of you to reclaim autonomy of your pleasure, your bodies, and your lives. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where I ask all the uncomfortable and embarrassing questions for you. Our unofficial mantra is be curious, not judgmental. So leave your inner prude at the door or strap her in tight because this is happening. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me, like we do on pretty much every episode. Hey, you guys, it's Kristen, and I am so extremely stoked to introduce you to my guest today, Miss Gia Lynn. Uh, before I get into the personal part of the gushing, um, Gia Lynn is a pleasure-positive writer, educator, and personal coach dedicated to researching and teaching the craft of pleasurable living and healthy sexuality. Having been raised by an intentional community that offers courses on relationships and communication, she offers a unique perspective on pleasurable living, human sexuality, and their connection to our quality of life. She realized that while many people wish they had been raised with better sex ed, hello, she actually had that experience. And she has a degree in English literature from UC Berkeley and is pursuing a master's degree in sexuality studies, aka girl is brilliant. And if this is the first time that you guys are ever hearing about her, I can assure you that it will not be the last because she has already contributed um, in such a profound way to the sexuality and sex education space. This past summer, she released a book titled On Blossoming, Frank and Practical Advice on Our Bodies, Sexual Health, Sensuality, Pleasure, Orgasm, and More. That is how I discovered her and fell in love with her. I devoured the book. It was such a thoughtful and poignant perspective on how to educate the next generation on sexuality. She also does a really beautiful and articulate job of breaking down the difference between sexuality and sensuality and why those things should not be used um, interchangeably, why we shouldn't talk about them as if they're the same thing, because they're not. Guys, this conversation was super juicy. I loved every minute of it. She was so open, so lovely, so delightful. And I just, I can't wait for you guys to listen and and give me your thoughts. I do expect uh, a lot of questions and things to come up afterwards because, uh, you know, it's there's some pretty progressive concepts that are introduced in here and it is very different from anything that I grew up with or what I imagine a lot of you who listen to the show uh, also grew up with or experienced in, in your own childhoods when learning about these topics. So bear with me, keep it curious, keep it respectful, but definitely engage with me as you're, as you're listening. If you want to send me Instagram messages or go to Facebook or um, email, whatever. I do want to talk to you guys. Like that is the point of this show. It is to stir the pot and offer different perspectives and, uh, you know, highlight different ways of being and different ways of thinking. So tell me everything. Tell me how it makes you feel. Um, admin note, 
the quality of this episode's recording is not what I would love for it to be. Um, (laughs) Gia has a very melodic, soft, gentle voice, which translates to quiet at certain times. Uh, I did what I could with the limited knowledge that your girl has uh, to adjust the audio accordingly, but just be supportive and use the volume button when you need to. Um, One day I will have the back end of all this podcasting stuff figured out and that will be magical. But until then, I just need you guys to bear with me. We also did have two minor uh, connectivity issues, um, but they were over very quickly. They weren't painful and we picked up right where we left off. So just giving you a heads up about that. I I don't need any feedback on how bad the recording was because I'm aware and we're working on evolving and getting better with that as we go. So enjoy this conversation and give me all of your thoughts. I love you guys and I will see you on the other side. Um, So Gia, I am just I'm jazzed because there, ha- the, the climate obviously um, calls for more and more conversations around this. And I do feel like sexuality is one of those topics that in the last, you know, like two years, I feel like there's been kind of a fake out around like improvement um, that, it, that isn't accurate. It's like people, everything is overly sexualized. Everything is more vulgar than ever. Everything, you know, people are kind of like, oh yeah, I mean, we can, we can say whatever we want about sex. Like we can talk about it openly, but I still don't feel like people are doing that, at least not in a helpful way. Um, and a lot of it is still very much, um, based around like the novelty and some of it is, is still driven very much by, Hollywood and societal programming and that kind of thing. So as far as uh, we as women even um, being able to have frank and honest discussions about sexuality and how sexuality relates to pleasure and all of that, I feel like that conversation is still not being had enough. And I feel like you did such a beautiful, beautiful job of diving into that really deeply in your book. Um, Could you share with the audience just a little bit about your background, whatever feels good. And then I have some really specific questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah, no, I feel like that was a really great uh, description of kind of where we're at socially, you know, here in the United States about the the fake out that's been happening. I love that. I'm going to, I might have to borrow that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I think, you know, you're absolutely right. There's this idea that we're um, sort of sexually free um, just because of the way that sex is being represented. But as we'll, I'm sure, talk about, there's a huge disconnect between that, um, the reality of that. So, um, yeah, my background, I grew up in an alternative community, uh, which means in this case, um, or an intentional community is actually how I describe it in the book. Um, It's basically a group of people that decided to live together because they um, ultimately thought it was going to be the most fun way to live. They had been taking some different um, courses that were about, you know, like relationships and just kind of um, living in a way that was different than um, they, at least, you know, my parents and their friends had been offered at the time. This is in the the 80s. Um, So, you know, how, how to live in a group, how to communicate in a way that's 
um, positive and sustainable, um, particularly living in a group setting. You got to really have some good communication skills. <laughs> so they were kind of exploring this area and they started, um, they started their own community. And so um, I was, I grew up in that environment and I've spent uh, most of my life living communally. And, um, and so, uh, you know, they went on to start teaching their own courses in, again, relationships, sensuality, communication. And so uh, when I was growing up, I had access to these people that had really great information about really anything that I wanted to know about, um, but uh, specifically was given a lot of great information about how to um, build relationships, about how my own body worked. Um, you know, I learned about uh, names for all of the anatomy. Uh, well, the relevant things, not like the specific names <laughs> of the bones or anything, but you know, like I learned yeah, but about- but it, it wasn't like food. It wasn't like, oh, you're a cupcake. <laughs> don't don't yeah. you cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. I knew what my clitoris was from a very young age. And, and then, but really just, they created an environment for me where it was safe to talk about those things. Um, you know, and I had- my own stuff growing up as a teen, feeling awkward. I was a super awkward teen, but um, I knew ultimately that I had people that I could come to that I could ask questions um, or bring up topics or things that I felt concerned about, or I had people that I could bring those questions to um, in, a, in an, a setting that was gonna be safe for me where I wasn't gonna be judged or they weren't gonna think differently about me just because I didn't know where my clitoris was. That was like, that was a real thing that I didn't know. For, for a chunk That's of a time. thing that a lot of grown people still don't know. So. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And so, um, and it's not surprising because, um, you know, obviously the clitoris itself has been, uh, isn't always in textbooks and it's not always in um, illustrations of uh, our body. So that's another aside, but I grew up in this environment and then, um, Really, as an adult, particularly once I graduated from college, I kind of had a little bit more perspective and realized how different that was. Um, you know, not only was I homeschooled, but I realized that the kind of information that I've been given access to was really rare, and that even a lot of the, you know, my peers, my young adult friends, um, you know, as a college graduate, like we still, there's, they still didn't have access to that same kind of information, and so. Um, that's when I decided to write the book. Hmm. So, so many things. I have so, <laughs> so many questions that are like running through my head. First off, when I um, started reading the book, you share, you know, right away about the fact that you came up in, 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 in a very um, intentional, you know, community. And I was like, these people had a compound. Cause like, <laughs> like, this is something my friends and I talk about all the time. Like we don't, we are not um, high vibe enough to actually do that in real life, but we, we would like to think that we are. And often we're like, dude, we're just going to buy a plot of land and take all of our babies and all our things. And we're going to have a compound like, <laughs> endless sleepovers and so much fun. We would murder each other. So that is not yeah. going to work in real life, <laughs> um, but you guys actually did that. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is impressive and extremely interesting. Obviously for me, I was like, that is some hippy dippy stuff, <laughs> which is great. Um, and as I share, we had, Gia and I had a, um, like a, a 
a pre-call to this one. And I was sharing with her how interesting I thought it was that there are a lot of parallels between how we both grew up as far as being kind of in um, a really specifically minded uh, group setting with education and being homeschooled and all of these things, but the outcomes and what we were educated on was very different. Um, it made me giggle quite a few times throughout the book. So I was like, <laughs> that is not what, <laughs> that is not what we were learning about when we were all like hanging out at so-and-so's house with their mom. Like we were at like art class. She was like teaching us how to use popsicle sticks and stuff, um, which was great. We weren't going over our clitoris or anything like that. But the, um, the second thing that really struck me that I, um, that I loved was that, so as you were dealing with, you know, your own body changing, and one of the big things that you mentioned multiple times was just having this safe judgment-free environment to ask those questions about and to really pursue your curiosity without any charge, without any, um, it, it sounds like the adults around you were really intentional in not responding to you out of any kind of negative way whenever you expressed a question or a concern about what was going on. And there's a story that I love in there about when you first discovered your pubes and you were so thrilled and you like <laughs> ran out to find, was it your mom? And you're like, <laughs> look, check this out. What's going on? Um, what, I'm like trying to think of how to get this question out because it's, it's so nuanced, but like how early did those conversations start where by the time you were old enough to have pubic hair, you felt, you felt very comfortable to go find your mom of all people where some, you know, there's like a weird thing between kids, um, and their moms, you know, especially if there was any kind of religious background or anything like that, because a lot of times there is some shame and some fear that's kind of accidentally, um, I don't think it's always intentional for sure, but is given along with any sexual education that we receive. So the fact that you were excited to like, go tell your mom about this and show her was just so, it's so different and it just kind of blows my mind. So can you dig a little bit into like what the day-to-day -day interactions were like and the opportunities for that kind of acceptance and encouragement of curiosity um, from before that, from before you were that age? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think um, it kind of sort of points to this other question uh, that I often get asked. People want to know, like, um, when do they start? Like, when, how, do they, how do they start these kinds of conversations? And, um, you know, I, I couldn't exactly say how old I was exactly because I think a huge part of this really is it starts with parents modeling it for their kids and it's really something I can't stress enough because I've I feel so strongly that really you know as soon like you know infants they're constantly watching when they're not you know sleeping <laughs> they're taking in information though through um well through their eyes but through their touch and they're and they and the feeling and um really sensing each other and so I really think that a lot of these the viewpoints that I address in my book about the difference between sensuality and sexuality and all of this positivity around really viewing our bodies as our bodies and not attaching all of this all of this value and all this meaning that we do um, i think those kind of fundamental things i really encourage um, that's why i say this book is really for parents to read with their young person because um, i think it's sort of in a way has a more of a ripple out effect than anything where if you're if you believe this about yourself, then 
that's going to have an effect on the person that you're raising and, um, and mentoring. And so, um, that's one part of it. And then, you know, the actual logistics of the thing, my mom had our first, it was called the female body class with us (laughs) when (laughs) I believe I was eight. Um, and I have an older sister, she's a year older. So um, oh God, I might've been, it might've been before eight because nine sounds a little bit late, but, um, just in terms of where we were and developing, I think we both started puberty pretty early, um, uh, in comparison to like the, the yeah, national the, average, the whatever but, standard you know, of yeah. 11 to whatever, yeah, but exactly. what is normal? It's a really yeah. broad range. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge range. Um, but this is to say, you know, and that started just with pretty, I think that was like anatomy and hey, periods exist, you know, and I was, I was just kind of one of those kids though, that was just more enthusiastic about it. I think, I think, you know, come to find out there's like, I don't know, there's just, like, I think there's a thing where some young people, you know, Oh, I had really that thing. Yeah. Whatever that thing is, yeah. I had yeah. that thing. I yeah, was exactly. Overly, I, I mean, extremely curious. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. extremely curious. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I, some people, I'm like, well, I was sexual from a very early age. And I don't, that does not mean I was sexually active from a very early age. It means that I was really curious, really aware of my sexuality. I didn't have the language for it but I was really aware of it. And I was really curious about the inner workings. And I knew that there were all these pieces and I really wanted to find out more about them. But in my case, didn't feel like I had people, especially not grownups that I could go to and ask. So I did a lot of snooping around like encyclopedias and like picture books and like anything I could find. Oh yeah. I was like, where can I find things? (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, yes. So I, I think that's a really good point is that there is, you know, just some of that natural curiosity. And I really fortunately, like, I had those female body classes where, you know, it was, it was pretty much, it seemed like a couple times a month we'd sit down. But then, you know, outside of that, I could ask questions and we had books and things like that. But one thing that I wanted to mention about this is that, you know, my, at the same time, I had, you know, my sister who was a year older. So, and she started puberty on the earlier side. And so I got to watch her go through a lot of different changes, which was, you know, great for me. Cause I was extremely curious, very nosy. Um, not as, so, not as great for her. She's like, get no, out of here. It was absolutely <laughs> not as great for her because one thing about this is that she experienced these changes very differently than I did. And she particularly once, um, you know, the hair started coming and her boobs really changed and just the shape of her body changed a lot. She became really private. And before that, you know, I kind of felt like we had a pretty, like, we shared a room. So we were kind of naked around each other and it wasn't a big deal. But then it, suddenly it was like, I realized that I like just wasn't seeing her. Like I never saw her change all of a sudden. Like it was, it wasn't like, I mean, as I said, all of a sudden, but it was just sort of like, I just remember thinking at one point, like, God, I just haven't seen, I'm like never in the room. I haven't she's seen her naked in a while. Yeah, exactly. She's, doing, she's doing the camp trick where she gets changed under her clothes and like pops out in more clothes. <laughs> so, you know, and then come to find out, like it really, it was a couple of years there where she was just really private and really quiet. And she had a lot of, um, you know, negativity around the changes that she was experiencing and something we've talked about now as adults. Mm-hmm. 
And has she shared, and I don't want to get too far into her stuff because that's her, not you, but as you guys have talked more as adults, has she shared any with you or been able to articulate where that came from since you guys had the same kind of background and your experiences were just so different? You know, and I, I, we have talked about it and she just felt it was this feeling of, it was just like, she was not in agreement with the changes that were happening. You know, she liked how her body was. She'd been a dancer. I don't know if this is connected to it, but, um, and she, you know, her body had looked a particular way. And then, you know, those changes, all those curves and boobs and, you know, it's, it's very unruly. And so uh, I mention it though, because I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, they hear, okay, the compound, she, <laughs> she grew up <laughs> yeah, this idealist, um, kind of setting and that's that's how you raise a, yeah. a sex positive kid but actually you know it, it's it's there's no guarantees you know mm-hmm. you can you can be a sex positive parent and that does not necessarily mean that your kid is gonna is gonna be like this um oh wow I'm so happy and enthusiastic like there's no recipe for creating that kind of an experience. You're not going to create a sexual savant just because you openly discussed things (laughs) with your child when they were kids. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, with my sister, it was just, it was a moment by moment thing, you know, when when she wanted to talk about certain things, then the door was open. When she, a little bit later in her development, she pretty much had a 180 change. And then, you know, we were there for her and ready to talk about those subjects, but it was just, she just had her own pace with the whole process. So, you know, I like to mention that because I just think it's important that um, it doesn't mean just because, you know, your kid is not jazzed about their body changes does not mean it's no reflection on the parent. Yeah. It's something that you can also just as it doesn't you mean you're not progressive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just as when you have a kid who's totally jazzed about it, it's, you can really handle them in pretty similar ways. <laughs> mm. Well, you actually, you mentioned this briefly. So I think this is the perfect time to, to dive into this. Normally uh, on the show, I wait cl- until closer to the end and I introduce a hashtag asking for a friend that was like anonymously submitted. And I have people give their thoughts and opinions on the question. But I think that this fits really well into what we're talking about right now. Um, and this person asked, how do you own your sexuality unapologetically and what age is it appropriate to embrace that? Mm-hmm. And so that two-part question, to me, it is the perfect flow into this larger conversation around the difference between sensuality and sexuality. Um, I want to mention that like early on in the book, one of my favorite parts of the book was you describing making a cup of tea. Like (laughs) the way this woman describes making a cup of tea, not only did I want to be the tea, but I also thought twice about like how I prepare my own tea. Um, it did make me think of like, I really love ceremonial matcha. And so I'll do kind of like a moving meditation, you know, while I make matcha, because that's something that's Mm. very soothing and experiential and sensual. Um, but could you break down that difference for us, the way that you see it? Because I think that will really help people with this freak out they have in their head where they're like, when do we start talking to kids about sex? And I'm like, well, I think they ask that, but what they're saying is like, when do we lay it on them about intercourse? But the conversation about experiencing a sensual life and being sensually aware starts way earlier and is available way earlier. So could you like yeah. get into that a little bit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I love that 
that you pointed out the distinction. And I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of times, just when I tell people about the book that I wrote, they're like, oh, you write about sex. And that's like what I'm writing about is like intercourse and things like that. But it's like, actually, I talk about and write about intercourse, like, actually it's not It's a very small, yeah. You're like, there's barely that. Like, there, will be, there are due dates before you ever yeah. get to intercourse, which will be yeah. But yeah, intercourse is a tiny, teeny yeah. piece of the book. Right. Well, and for one thing, there's just so much emphasis on, I was like, when I was thinking, when I was plotting the book out, I thought, well, if, if my potential readers, if they're going to read about anything, they'll have read about intercourse already. So I think that department's covered. So we all got that part. That's the part that left us like wide eyed and slack jawed walking out of our mom's room. And we were like, what? (laughs) My dad did what? (laughs) You're like nine and you're like, oh my God. And you can't. You just can't yeah. after that. Yeah. Exactly. So, so intercourse gets covered, um, unfortunately, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for better or for worse, that gets brought yeah. up pretty quickly, <laughs> but the rest of it, the other nuances yeah. do not. So, exactly. and there's so much to talk about. So yeah, one of the first chapters that I have is talking about this difference between sensuality and sexuality. And, um, you know, there are words that usually get used interchangeably. Um, and sensuality is usually kind of seems like it's sort of like this kind of mood lit version of sexuality or it's like well I don't want to say the word sex so I'll say sensual you know I'm like you know which is fine she was a very sensual young lady it's like an (laughs) old guy's way of calling somebody a slut and you're like what (laughs) yeah it's usually there's usually um it's more yeah it alludes to something Mm -hmm. as opposed to being really a specific term in its own right and so um one of the things that I like this sort of fundamental way of really using, viewing the culture that we live in is this idea about, um, about production and that usually in society, um, the things that we produce are given the most like positive value, like, you know, having a job, um, having a house, um, you know, keeping your job for a long time or, um, you know, bringing in a lot of money. These are like, and, and, and producing can look a lot of different ways. Those are just like very obvious ones that we kind of tend to value as a culture. And so it's like these production kind of values is usually how I call it. Um, and so that's actually something that is related to sexuality, where sexuality is the things that, it, it's the acts that are about reproduction. So it's everything that we do to reproduce the species, which is not bad it's great we all we want it's necessary to, yeah. yeah it's necessary we're all here because of a successful sexual act <laughs> <laughs> i would not take that away but what the the reason that i make this distinction is because that is a facet of life but it's not all of what sex is in fact that's actually like a really really tiny tiny window you know even for people you know those with uteruses who are able to are are fertile have a mate all of those things line up that's like that's actually just a teeny little blip on the radar of really like how long you know the human lifespan is and our really how long we're um, able to sense and experience pleasure you know our actual fertility is like this like it's like a millisecond in our life essentially i mean it's a little longer than that but you know it's just and then, and then, so aside from that, we have this idea of sensuality, which that is 
basically the experience is having to do with the senses. And it's something that's not goal oriented. It's outside of that model of production. So, um, and it's really, you know, I use this cup of tea example because it's something, you know, you can have central experiences with basically anything um, because it's about putting your attention on what you're experiencing. In order to experience your senses, you have to be in present time and you have to be noticing what's going on around you. And so, um, you know, how people experience their senses or which ones there are more sensitive than others, you know, varies. We've all got different levels of abilities and just personal preferences, but it's really encouraging people to, um, to value those central experiences because since we are so entrenched in this production-oriented world, we tend to just value those those reproductive acts, even when we're not actually reproducing, but it's usually that emphasis on intercourse, um, or just you know, usually kind of penetrative sex, kind of in general, is and is that we have a big emphasis on that. But actually, you know, when you look at it, um, at least with um, with the vulva, just how we're built, um, it's not necessarily that conducive to <laughs> penetrative sex. Um, it's it's on the outside. Yes. <laughs> the most accessible part of it. And so if you just look at like how we're built, just just in our genitals, it seems to speak to um, to something outside of really that all that all that emphasis that we have on penetration. And but then really if you look at it even bigger picture, I mean our our biggest sensing organ is our skin and we have it all over our body. And really if you stopped and think about it, you can get a lot of um, of pleasure from just you know touching the hairs on your arm, and so I introduced the book that way because I actually look at all of the other topics um, that I cover, from anatomy to consent, communication tools to friendship, from this lens of sensuality, um, because I think that um, just how like I talked about, we have a society that values production. You can flip it and view it outside of that production model and experience really all of the aspects of your life from that sensuality lens. And so um, when I talk about pleasure-focused sex ed, like I'm really talking about pleasure-focused, like it's not just sort of like, oh, well, she's got a chapter on orgasm. It's like actually the whole thing is built through this lens of sensuality. Mm. And I love that. And I don't know a woman alive who hasn't had a sensual experience with a piece of chocolate cake. Like I just, I don't. So it applies to so many different areas. Um, I, so I love the clarity and the distinction that brings up a question, um, a personal question for me, because you also did a great job of just kind of, um, hitting on why language is so important. And I agree with that a lot about like how the, the words and the phrasing around how we talk about these things with other people and everything, how important that is. So I have been uh, in the last year or so because the idea of sexuality, sensuality, and everything in between is so much bigger than the act of having sex I have you been guilty of using uh, sexuality as kind of a an overarching description of a lot more than intercourse. So for me, when I'm talking about someone 
reconnecting or claiming their sexuality. I am talking about all of those pieces as they work together. And I'm also talking about that sexual energy that comes from our sacral, you know, chakra that is connected to creativity and vitality and all these things. So in your opinion, mm-hmm. um, what would be a, I, I mean, I don't even want it to be, cause I know there's not like a right and a wrong, but it's like, what would be a more powerful way to clarify that since people are t- like, they do tend to think of sexuality as sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think that's an important question. And it's something that, you know, on my own, I've, I do, I I do consider, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I have this particular definition of sexuality and sensuality, but I'm aware that (laughs) the majority of the world (laughs) is not privy to my definition. So I, it's really, you know, it's a case by case basis. And so, and I think that when, you know, for your, in terms of how you are describing, you know, your, your experiences and, or if it's, if it's in relation to your work, you know, I think that you do have to be aware of who you're talking to and that I'm a, when I say the word sensuality, I'm aware that I sound a little bit, um, sounds almost a little bit dated in a way or like kind of 90s for some reason that's like kind of like the weird imagery that comes up for me like or like oh it's like you know those those connotations I think of somebody like dripping candle wax on somebody (laughs) exactly exactly it's like red roses boys to men is that I'll make love to you Yeah, you know, there's these, these are- jacuzzis, you know, yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. Yeah, there's absolutely <laughs> connotations that are part of our culture. And so, and I'm not, you know, we're not at a place where um, the entire nation has read on blossoming. So I, I can't see. Not yet. We're working not- on it though. Yes. Everybody go get one. <laughs> yeah. Link it in the show notes. <laughs> um, so I think it's really, I the thing that I think is great is that every time we have a conversation like this, it, it does spark a lot of different considerations for people. And I have actually a lot of people who write me um, who go, oh, wow, yeah, I've been guilty of that. Or they actually have phrased it that way, which is kind of, there's no, no, read, no need to feel guilty about yeah. it at all. But <laughs> There's you know. plenty of things in life to feel guilty yeah. about. Let's not add this to the stack. Let's <laughs> yeah. just... Let's just yeah. Yeah, just go forward and try something else. And you know, and maybe it's not useful to everybody who's listening to this, but I think that um, as you said, the way the words that we use define our reality. And so if if living a more pleasurable life is of interest to you, then this is a viewpoint that's available is that you can make this distinction for yourself. And maybe you tell your partner or your partners that you are making this distinction and that going forward you're going to use these two terms differently and they're not going to be interchangeable anymore and then maybe they start doing it too and then you've got your bubble of like well these people who are you know probably the most important people to you or at least in the top 10 you know you're you're functioning with these same definitions but then you know I can't possibly you know yeah expect (laughs) who I meet at the bookstore to you know use it the same way yeah it could be useful 
Because yeah. it is, it is all of it, just about how things are broken down. It's like the difference between making love and fucking. Like those are two yeah. different things. There are different emotional connotations. There are different, you know, like sometimes the act is the same, but the intentionality behind it and like what is going on and how the person feels during and after is very different. So I think it's it's a similar distinction that we're trying to derive. It's like, what is the intention behind these sensory experiences that you're having? Um, and then bringing it back to, you know, just the kids, I think this is something that, you know, I'm about to give birth to my first child and she's a daughter. And so obviously that brings up a lot of things and there's a lot of stuff that I want to be aware of and be really conscious of in her ongoing lifelong education and discussion of these topics and these lessons. Um, but you know, you also want to be conscious of not swinging too far the other direction where you're like, they're on blast because you had such a limited you know, oh, situation. Oh, you like absolutely. turn the fire hydrant on them. <laughs> they're like, um, oh, you don't. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that, <laughs> I think that sensuality is, is a huge part of that because before, like, of course, like I'm not going to be out there telling my 12 year old that she needs to be like buying vibrators and stuff. Like, I'm not going to give her, you know, like there's just these things. I think people get this idea in their head when they're like, oh, a sex positive, like parenting approach. Uh And I just, I think helping kids understand what feels good to them and giving them a really firm grasp of autonomy and consent and pleasure in their own bodies in every stage that they're in is a huge step up because I disagree with the concept of the talk. Like this is such a loaded, uh, nuanced subject that there's no way that like by the time they're 11, you can have a five minute to one hour conversation with them and then be set for life on like their sex education. Like that is not good enough. Uh And I also think that waiting until your kid is 12 to even pretend like sex exists is that is not always um, a great option either. That doesn't, that doesn't help either. So I think that sensuality gives you something, it gives you a bridge to, to get to them with until it's appropriate to bring in these other aspects um, of sensuality. Sexuality can be part of your sensual experience in life as a human being, but it isn't everything. So I think that that is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It forms a really nice bridge where, you know, I think a lot of the things that you just, you know, described are spot on. It's like, um, yeah, sitting down with an 11 year old and kind of reciting all of these things is really, it's, that's really, that's not how you would cover any other topic, you know? If they were interested in fishing or, you know, I don't know. The hook goes through their lip. The end. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, we would, but no, it's like, actually, if they were really interested in fishing, you would know that probably before they were 11, you would have seen some road signs. signs, yeah. Talk about it, you know, and then you'd, you'd bring it up like, hey, if you ever want to talk about fishing, you know, let me know. Or, and then, and, or, or, hey, I found this interesting article. You might want to read it. Really, I think people have so much fear around covering this topic as parents or guardians. Um, they miss a lot of signals that are happening. Like, um, first of all, oh, I'm getting the uh, connection is unstable. Should I wait? Okay, no, it's back. I was like, re say just the last thing. 
just okay. to make sure they got it. <laughs> yeah, I just think that, you know, parents have and guardians have so much you know, fear and anxiety around these having the talks and doing it right and putting all this pressure on themselves that um, they are likely missing road signs, uh, indicators that the person that they're raising um, has questions or um, has some things that would be good to talk about. And maybe they don't want to necessarily ask questions about it, but, um, you know, we've got to know that even if, you know, 11 and 12 sounds young for having the talk, um, they're getting exposed to messages about sex way before that. And so, you know, especially if they're, you know, in the public school system, mm-hmm. or if they have a smartphone, it's pretty much a guarantee. Or an older sibling with friends, like it just, exactly. yeah, they're going to get yeah. it somehow. So you, yeah. you might as well get ahead of it and, and help direct the perspective and the conversation for them. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think so much of these, so much of the, the sex ed talk ends up being what they see in porn, really, which is really unfortunate or like the like kind of like little hush conversations. Mm-hmm. But really what you have an opportunity to do as a parent or guardian is fill in so much more of the spectrum of what's available because porn shows you one tiny, tiny thing about what sex looks like. And, and then if you have, if you have a five minute of the talk, then okay, you've, you've showed one other little sliver, but there's still a huge, you know, rainbow of information Mm -hmm. to discuss and topics to broach and curiosities and things like that, that, um, you know, if you're willing to be open and be open-minded, you can, you can provide a more complex and nuanced idea about, about sex. And I had definitely have my, my own thoughts on this, but I would love to hear, um, because you, you wrote something really profound about it in the book. I would like to, to hear your thoughts around what happens, um, psychologically to kids, but like what, what kind of chain of events kind of happens when we refer to our children's genitalia as private parts? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Ultimately, when you call it private or, you know, something, various, there's various iterations of that, you're saying that that's an area that's, that's un-talk-about-able. Un- Unmentionable, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't give the appropriate or the correct names, and I think the more names, the better. I mean, I think people should be learning about, I think people of all all genders should be learning about the names of the anatomy, the parts, mm-hmm. the labias, <laughs> the clitoris, <laughs> external <laughs> clitoris. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because, because you are, you're making it an area that then you can talk about. And so, and that's has this, there's two main implications of that. One in instances of abuse you're giving them, you're giving them a message that that is an area that they can talk about. If something inappropriate does happen, then they can, they have the words to say, this was touched. And, and it sounds almost like a technicality, like, why wouldn't they just say, like, down there or something like that. But if you, if you make that, you know, an unmentionable, it is, it's going to be harder for them to talk about regardless of the circumstances. And then the second part of that is when you're an adult and you're ready to have, you know, and your, your sexual, sensual explorations, um, 
you have that foundational experience where you can talk about your own genitalia. You don't have to cross this great divide of going <laughs> my purse to being yeah. like, uh, will you touch my, you know, because I really you, like it when you put yeah. her on my coin purse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, excuse me. <laughs> you know the last of the coin purses. <laughs> I really like that because we should be able to talk about our sensitive areas in a way that's open without shame because everybody's sensitive areas are different and we cannot assume that just because um, you've touched one before that the next one you touch is going to operate the same way. No, they're totally different. And the more that we can talk about these areas openly, the better, more positive experiences people are going to have. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I keep coming back to it because I think it's such an important um, distinction. So you guys, sorry that I keep like harping on this, but that that's again, speaking to the difference between sexual activity and sensual awareness. Um, because I think that, uh, did my train just leave? It might've, where was that? <laughs> where was I going with that? We were talking about labias and vaginas and all of that good <laughs> stuff. Man, this is a bad one. Hold on. I have it. I'm like, I know where I was going with that. <laughs> or, or maybe not. Okay. Well, <laughs> basically I just think that it's important for them to be able to d discuss their bodies. Oh, I know where I was going. Booyah. We're taking the sexual charge out of nudity and away from our bodies as well so that we're removing shame essentially like you're not going into the conversation with all of this sexually charged um you know shame because our bodies are very much a part of our experience long 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 before we become sexually active and so being able to name body parts and establish boundaries and have conversation and ask curious questions because those questions look different at different ages. Like for you, you were like, Oh, I have hair on my vulva. That's a very different like conversation than like, Oh, so how does the clitoris work? Like what's yeah. going on? You know, these are, these are different questions. Yeah. So I think giving them the proper vocabulary, like that's not perverse in any way. And exactly. I, and there is, there are groups of people out there, um, you know, who are like, Oh, I just think it's inappropriate for kids to be running around talking about their labias and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I just, I, I disagree because that is part of the body you were born with. Like, why should they feel any kind of shame or discomfort around properly describing the parts of their body that they were born with. Like that just, you're setting them up to fail from really early on. So exactly. No, I think that's, that, that's what I was trying to get to. Well, I'm so glad you, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, but I, I really like that you make that distinction um, because, you know, if you think about how, how it works currently, oh, okay. I think it's really important that you make that distinction because if you think about how it works currently, where if it is a, the talk or if it's, um, you know, a, a session or two at public school, you know, biology class, how people are learning these anatomy terms, if they actually get to anatomy of, you know, a vulva, um, they're learning about it. Yeah. yeah. They are, they're learning about it in, a context that is talking about sex. Mm -hmm. So then the one time you get to have this conversation in an open way with actual information, um, you're learning about it in the same, at the same time you learn about, 
you know, safe sex, which is usually about how to protect yourself in an intercourse situation mm-hmm. from getting, you know, pregnancy or getting an STI. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so why? Like that actually furthers that sort of, as you say, like kind of sexualizing our 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 own bodies. But if you can learn about it before then in a time when you're just it's based off of your own curiosity, then why not? It's much more natural and is part of just living your life as opposed to this yeah. other pretty strange way that we kind of go about this. Yeah. Because I just, I, I think it's interesting and I'm not, I'm definitely not throwing shade at parents who decide, you know, to, to go this route with your kids. But I, I do think that there is an impact. Like we all just have to be aware of the impact that our chosen course of action and education and modeling for our kids, like what that is. And, you know, I think that when you grow up in a house with parents who, um, yell at you to get out of the bathroom, if you walk in on them unexpected because they, you know, because they're, they're having private time or their privates are exposed or, you know, whatever, or you never see them naked. That is when that curiosity that is so natural and innate in kids anyway, I think that it goes into overdrive when they feel like things are being hidden or concealed from them. Mm -hmm. So like to me, you know, and there will be plenty of people with opinions about this, but to me, boys, like little boys who grow up with moms who walk around naked are way less impressed by slash into obsessed with seeing boobs. Like they've seen (laughs) boobs so many times in a natural setting, like apart from their one sexual function, because like these things make milk, they feed babies, they are soft and squishy, they feel good, like whatever. (laughs) They have all these different roles and not all of them are sexual. And so when you hide the more like normal day-to-day roles of our body, then that kind of leaves only, like it really alludes and kind of points them to the more sexualized version that is like taboo and off limits. And that's the one everybody goes digging for because they know that they're like not being told something. And so what they find then are, you know, like porn star boobs, which is not the kind of boobs we want our boys looking at. Um, I'm just there's a range of boobs. There's a range of boobs. not all represented in they're porn. Not. They're not. <laughs> um, and I one day I will have Erica Lust on this show, and we oh, will yeah. talk all about ethical porn and all the things. Um, because yeah. I have many thoughts on that. But I just that's like a little bit of a side rant. But this, I mean, the same for yeah. little, the same for little girls too. Like when you are in a a loving, accountable, healthy, you know, household with a close, tight knit family. It's like your baby, your kid is going to grow up, you know, if from the time they're an infant, seeing their mom and their dad naked, they understand the difference very quickly between male and female bodies. And there's just less of a question and there's less of that like need to figure out like what is going on. So I just, I, I find that it's helpful. And I haven't found that those kids who grew up that way ended up being like porn addicts or sex addicts or anything like that. Better yet, they get to middle school and they are the ones who know what's up and they're not talking about weird things like babies coming out of your forehead and stuff. Like they actually (laughs) know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a really good point, you know, and I think, um, yeah, there's definitely a a lot to unpack. You froze a little bit. People's curiosities aren't going to go away. If they're curious, if you know, are we back? 
Are you back? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuel's curiosity is not going to go away. Yeah. It's, you know, if you, if, and I think what you've described, okay, people, you know, people are going to have a range of, um, of comfort levels with nudity and different policies and things like that. And, you know, my, my opinion has always been that um, it's really important for parents to raise their kids in a way that is in line with their traditions. I'm not trying to get people to upend how their views on parenting altogether. I'm talking about really sort of just widening the conversation here. So, you know, but I think you're absolutely right. If when people, when kids, you know, are curious and have questions about things, those, those things, they're not going to go away. It's not like just because you slam the door in their face that then, oh, well, I guess I'll never talk about that again. And now I, <laughs> now I will never need to know what was going on in there, but it just gets, it gets kind of redirected or put day or it builds or it has, it has to, it's, it's going to get handled at some point down the road. And so, you know, if you're not comfortable being naked, um, around your kid, you know, that's fine, but can think of other ways that you can talk to them about nudity. You can show them illustrations. You could, um, sculpture, like there's a lot of really great versions. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Yeah. There's Don't a lot tape of over all so of the body parts in art books. Like yeah. that has happened. It's like censored, like censored tape yeah. over all yeah. of the like models in the books. And like, let them explore. I'm not yeah. telling anyone to it's... burn all their clothes and give condoms to their six-year-olds. Like that is not what this is about. Um, and as usual, you guys, I make it very clear. Like this is all about presenting another perspective building on, you know, onto an, what needs to be an ongoing and evolving conversation. And I welcome respectful, curious dialogue about all of this. So if you guys are like, once this comes out, if you have questions, thoughts, concerns, et cetera, as long as you express them in a kind way, I am so all about it. And I am willing to engage in that and, and, and talk about it more. Cause I think it's fascinating. And I don't think that I mean, this isn't like, we have the answer. This is what you should be doing. I just, these are questions that I'm like talking out in real time and thoughts I'm expressing in real time as someone who is about to mother a little girl. And I want her to be very comfortable in her body. And I want her to witness from an early age, me and Mike being really comfortable in our bodies around her so that she doesn't feel any sense of, she doesn't get any inherited sense of shame around her natural physical form. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah, no, I think, you know, there is, that is a very, from, you know, that sounds like a very a lovely approach. And I feel like, you know, it's just important to say there's just so many different ways of going about this. There's so many viewpoints available. And I really appreciate that really seems like what you're doing here. And this conversation with your podcast is, is just opening the door for more conversations to be had because it's been a pretty small conversation about what the right way to do things is for a while, particularly in regards to sex ed. So really, you know, if we can tell anything from our different, um, the different social movements that have been happening in the last few years is that we really do need to have some changes in how, 
power raising kids, the kinds of sex ed, the kinds of just education that we're providing. And so it really starts with having these kinds of conversations, which a lot of people probably will balk at, like, I would never be naked around my child. But, you know, <laughs> hey, we, <laughs> we got to make some changes here so we can have, you know, we can have a more positive future. Yeah. And you guys, you don't, I mean, we don't have to move into communal living. Like if you want to, that's cool. But like, you don't have to do that in order to have intentional, you know, conversations with your kids and with the people in your life and with, you know, everybody around you, like you, you get to bring these conversations into your space. If nobody else is doing it, like it might be a sign that it's your job to bring it up and talk about it. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to, I could literally talk to you all day. So I'm trying, I want to make sure that I am respectful of your time. Um, maybe the thing that we will end on is just thoughts and conversation, um, around how basically you expressed, um, a perspective about changing how virginity is perceived and like what it means when you lose your virginity, like taking away the overemphasis and somewhat um, religious and patriarchal kind of charge to, you know, the hymen and all of that stuff. And like having a a broader um, experience basically that you equate with losing your virginity or coming into sexual maturity. I don't even like the, the term of losing something. I think that it's better to focus on gaining something. Um, but I, I, I was really interested in your thoughts around that and I would love to hear you, um, chat about that a little bit if you have a minute. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I've been loving this conversation. I feel like it could go on all day. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think the whole idea about losing virginity is something that's becoming really increasingly increasingly outdated, particularly we're in a time where particularly the younger generation is um, talking about expressing um, gender in a different way than previous generations have, and which I think is such an important and really fantastic uh, conversation that's going on. And so, and along with that, you know, people expressing their sexualities in in different ways and expressing that difference in sexuality in a way that's more public and just being expressive about it, which I think is amazing. And so, um, so then this idea of losing virginity, which is typically, you know, a penis penetrating a vagina for the first time, it just <laughs> sounds so clunky. And because it really, it, it's, it's, you know, heteronormative for one thing. Um, and it's really, you know, so it excludes a whole bunch of other sexualities and, and varieties of genitalia. But, um, but also more largely, it's, again, that emphasis on, on sexuality, on like that reproductive model where it's all about the penetration. And, um, and I just think it's so unfortunate because it's looked at as this sort of rite of passage for a lot of young people um, that is likely not going to be that pleasurable because again where the clitoris is located Um, and so one of the things I talk about in uh, my book is really just it's time to just move move away from this concept and it was in Peggy Orenstein's book that 
I first had this came across this idea. One of the young women she interviewed suggested that your first um, that like the equivalent of losing your virginity, which some people call sexual debut, which I just oh, think is pretty that's cute. interesting. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> My could, sexual debut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it on the calendar. <laughs> Sexual <really> debut. <laughs> <laughs> um, could be when you have your first orgasm with another person, which mm-hmm. I think is a really potentially a very, just a lovely um, way of reworking that dynamic. Um, it's definitely person, a lot more positive. It is a lot more positive. It definitely indicates that there is pleasure involved, um, which, you know, really with with um the other way well sadly you can lose your virginity and it have nothing to do with a rite of passage it can be something that was taken from you and that's not like yeah it absolutely can be so exactly that being said that somebody could have experienced a so-called rite of passage and it be something Mm -hmm. that really wasn't voluntary so we can create potentially a new framework for this and i think also in a later chapter i talk about orgasm from this perspective that is not, um, is again, it's not that production based or we're trying to achieve this climax or really it's about experiencing an increase and decrease and more increase and decrease of, of sensation and learning to approach our sexual and our sensual experiences from that model, um, really opens the door for these, uh, these early experiences, but, you know, really lifelong for those experiences to look a lot different where, you know, if you can learn to approach it differently, then suddenly your, your value isn't based on whether or not you climaxed or didn't or produced a climax in a person or didn't. And really it requires more communication and more attention. Um, but I think the, um, the rewards are really infinite. And I think that the reason I also love that is because I think some people, just because you were use the word orgasm, people will balk and be uncomfortable and, you know, we got to deal with that guys. But I also think that when you bring that into it, it becomes a much more um, intentional, uh, like requires more participation from all parties involved. And so when you are looking at an experience like that as the first time that two people orgasm together, you are basically, you're assuring that you, you have put thought into a, like who the person is, like nobody is orgasming together for the first time drunk at a party. Like that's what, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't know an eloquent way to say that, you know, Uh it's like, Oh, I lost my virginity at this party. Things got out of hand. You know, it's like, Things don't get out of hand when you're both consciously pursuing an orgasm together, you know, like that just, I mean, booze might be involved if you're in the appropriate age and whatever, but that, you know, it just, it, to me, I'm like, clearly you have to be a lot more present in order for that to happen. Whereas fumbling around under a dusty sheet in your aunt's basement and getting penetrated is not like, it doesn't require as much forethought preparation or intentionality essentially. So yeah. yeah, I, so I really, I really like that. Um, would you mind, since you shared it in the book, I feel like you have no problem sharing about your, you, you did share very openly about your first sexual orgasmic experience where you decided at a certain point that, it, that you were ready to, you know, have your 
first orgasm with a partner and that was not through penetration, correct? It was through a, a due date. Is that, mm-hmm. was that right? Um, would you describe to, to people what a due date is? Cause also when I read it, I was like, that is what will be keeping us alive after the baby is born when penetration yeah. is not really an option. Like Absolutely. I just, <laughs> it just carries on this, like the more options to experience pleasure with somebody, um, without, you know, shoving something in your badge. I think that's great. Like people need options. So could you um, share that story with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a duty is where two people put their attention on one person's body for the uh, maximum amount of pleasure. So um, it can look a lot of different ways um, because that's just the basic definition. So you could hypothetically, you could pick any body part that you wanted. So um, this is really great for people with different, um, you know, different sensory experiences, different um, levels of maybe functioning ability in their bodies. Um, A due date can be adapted really for anybody. And so, and then like, as you said, different stages of your life, um, it's really, it's all about creating pleasurable sensation in your partner's body. So, um, so in the, Uh, experience that I described in the book, it was uh, a man who was a friend of mine and I, or a young man, I guess I should say, because I was a young woman, but, um, (laughs) um, you know, stimulating my clitoris um, for the duty, which um, we had agreed, we had agreed upon a time, I can't remember, seven minutes, something like that, but we had, you know, set up the time, set up the space that we were going to have it in. Um, So I I have to ask you this, because this is the nature of the show and people are going to be wondering, like, did you go up to him and you're like, so I am ready to have an orgasm and I would like you to be the one to give it to me. Like, how did that conversation go? Yeah, it was pretty much. <laughs> it was like yeah. that. It was he, just straightforward. Because he was in your community yeah. as well. So like, this is somewhat normal there, whereas here that would be a little bit different, but yeah, you yeah. were, yeah. I mean, so it was very straightforward you know, and he was, he was like, okay, friend. Cool. he was my age. He was, um, Let's see. He, I knew he knew about due dates, so mm-hmm. I had it very easy. <laughs> okay. Had you guys like made out or anything before? No. No, no. we didn't have. I mean, we had a very friendly, you know, like yeah. a, affectionate relationship. We knew each other well, and um, you know, he was somebody that I liked, but it wasn't somebody that I had had. Um, so you didn't you days. didn't pick him because you were like, oh, that guy is really cute. And I want him to give me an orgasm. It was more like he knows what this is. So when I ask him for this, he will be able to deliver. I mean, cuteness factor. Sure. I, I would hope so. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get you to say. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was this fun. guy was really cute. So I went up to him <laughs> and I no, asked him I- to give me my first <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> one thing, you know, I mean, yes, I liked him, but I don't really emphasize that in the book because I think, I think we have this idea that, you know, our sexual activity has to be with somebody who's, we have like romantic chemistry with and all these things. But actually, I think personally, knowing somebody like somebody that you actually know and are friends with, um, sometimes that like romance stuff actually gets in the way of like really knowing somebody. So it does because somebody yeah. can be good at romancing you and not good at giving you an orgasm. Exactly. Those are two different things. <laughs> exactly. So, but you know what friendship requires is attention mm-hmm. and what an orgasm also requires is attention. So and communication. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Valid points, but attraction yeah. is not to be underplayed. So for sure. No. So boy and- was cute. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
it can look a range of ways, but you know, I, um, so yeah, I asked him for the experience, you know, we had a pri my room private area. Um, and yeah, I laid down on the bed. He sat next to me and, um, yeah, he just used the tip of his finger and it was great because, you know, he's sitting up and so he can see my face. We can see each other, obviously. Uh, talk openly without any obstruction and then he could actually see my vulva and describe to me what it looked like which was really even though I had you know used a mirror and looked at it before it was really kind of an emotional like moment for me when he first gave his descriptor like the idea of having somebody looking at it talking about it calling yeah. it my, my vulva um, <laughs> and saying something positive was really such a, a marvelous experience and you know as a first-time experience that it made it it was great but also I mean any time really at any mm -hmm. any vulva owner is gonna like that and any penis owner is gonna like that too but penises yeah. get a lot of praise so they, and they're easier to see. <laughs> they are easier to see and this is this is a valid point that needs to be brought up like because you saying that about like him describing it to you, you like girls don't think about the fact that especially in the way that a lot of us come into our early sexual encounters with guys, it's like dark and there's like clothes and there's blankets, and there's all this stuff. And it's like, you could have sex with someone for a long time and them not know what like the intimate details of what your vagina and your labia and your, you know, vulva and all of these things look like. And I, like, I specifically remember this one day where like, my husband and I've been together for six years, uh, married for three of those, but it was, I think before we were married, I was like in the bathtub, you know, and I was, it was a nice big bathtub in this apartment that we had. And I was like reading and I had candles and he had like been out because that's what I do when he goes out. I stay in, I drink wine in the bathtub. <laughs> so he had been out with a friend, you know, and he comes back and I hear him come in and I'm like splayed out. Like I'm like spread eagle in the bathtub, like reading books and just chilling, so relaxed. And he walks into the bathroom and I'm just, I'm just there. Like the light is on and like there is everything in the bathtub. And it was so cute because he just didn't like his face. It was just so curious he was just like he just said flat out he was like so that's what all of that looks like it's like we've been having sex for you know probably two years or something you know but he just yeah. never like looked straight down on all of my business with the light on before you know yeah. which is kind of sad but also it funny like because it wasn't you know there was no like recoil or judgment or anything of any kind it was literally just the statement that like oh that is what that looks like so I think it's really interesting that like to remember that, like think about, you know, ask yourself if you've been with somebody for, you know, a, a year, it's possible that they don't know what your situation looks like. So if you're not having great sex, maybe some more exploration um, would be really helpful for them and for you. Um, but I just, I, I love the thought of that. I love the, I love that you had that experience and that you ha were able to um, ask for what you wanted and then receive what you wanted in such a clean, holistic transaction. I thought, I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, 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 it was awesome. And, <laughs> and it really, you know, it sets a nice, um, foundation for the, you know, experiences that you want to have later. Cause then, you know, you have somebody who knows what parts you've got, you can communicate openly with, you know, it really, it kind of, 
um, does lay a path for you know more positive experiences in the future, which is one of the reasons I advocate for it in the books. It's like why not why not start off why not have your sexual debut with a with a positive so you can just yeah build from there <laughs> exactly okay and the girl the girl talk in me has to know did how long after that were you like all right I would like to have penetration and have that also feel good like how how long were you like I was ready for an orgasm and then how much longer until you were ready for like penetrative sex because that's yeah. on a level like that's much more intimate um when you're taking that much intention and consciousness into your sexual interactions yeah, it was a ways later. I want to say at least a year. Um, a little hazy on the details, but it wasn't um, it wasn't immediate, you know. Yeah. And it was something that I talked to my mom quite about, uh, quite a bit about, and mm-hmm. about in the book. But it was a process for me where you know it was something that I thought that I wanted much earlier with this totally different person who. Yeah. Um, let's just say he had no idea what my vulva looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, and she just always encouraged me to really consider um, what my, what my intention was behind saying, okay, I want this or I'm going to have this. She's like, she would have me take a look at like, okay, what's driving you to, to say that that's what you want right now with that person, you know? And so it gave me multiple opportunities um, cause we certainly talked about it more than what I wrote about, but, yeah. um, till, till the point where, you know, the person that I did decide, you know, I wanted to have penetrative sex with, you know, we've had due dates for a while, you know, and so then it was an experience in its own. It wasn't something that was le- like led up to like, oh, well, I've, um, we, we had oral sex. So yeah. now we're going to have, it wasn't have, like you know. checking the box. Like this is the final thing. <laughs> Plant the flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I was certainly all about my rights of passage for sure. But, you know, but I got to come to it in a time that it was, um, it wasn't, I wasn't just being driven by my own curiosity, yeah. driven by my sort of biological urges. I had, I was really fortunate enough yeah. to be able to consider um, you know, what, what experience that I really wanted to have. Yeah. No, I love that. Gia, I've loved every like second, every second <laughs> of this conversation. Um, at some point you'll be back again. So just, okay. every, just so everyone knows, like we'll be, we'll be continuing this at another time. Um, but I would, I would love to hear, uh, where people can find the book, where people can connect with you and with your work. And I know that you have some stuff, you know, that's coming that you're working on, uh, cause you're very much an advocate in, uh, well, uh, advocate was the word I was trying to say, uh, in the sensuality, sexual education space, um, as well. So just share whatever you feel like sharing with the audience about the most meaningful ways to connect with you after this conversation. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I do have a social media presence and I love it when people send me messages, even if I don't reply right away. Um, so. I was really impatient. She, she was fine. I literally sent her an email like an hour after I sent her the other one. So that, that was on me. So you can get on my Instagram. Uh, which is author, And I also use Facebook and that's largely just for like event announcements. Um, uh, but you can get on my Patreon, which is also author, And I'm actually in the process of um, 
adapting the kind of content that I offer on there. So it's monthly, uh, like a monthly topic where I explore, um, each month there's a new topic and I explore it via a live stream and then various just posts and things that I make. So if you're interested in um, the topics that I explore in a book and then in this conversation, it gives me an opportunity to go um, just more in depth than I usually can. And so I highly recommend checking out that platform. Also, I have a website, uh, julialin.com. And I will link all of those things in the show notes. The only thing you guys cannot do is ask Gia to have the sex talk with your kids for you. <laughs> that is something that happens, apparently. <laughs> Occasionally it does. <laughs> and I can see why they would do that. However, that is your responsibility, you guys. Read Be a grown-up. Be a grown-up. Read the book. <laughs> Arm yourself. Yes. Highlight pages. Feel free to share the pages directly. In an airplane and fly them into your kid's room, like whatever, <laughs> wherever you got to start, zero judgment, zero shame. As um, Gia has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This has been marvelous. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for hanging in there and listening with an open and curious heart. I hope this conversation has inspired, educated, and entertained you, or at the very least, shaken things up in a productive way. Ann Voskamp says that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So please share, rate, and review. Sending you love and dark chocolate. Talk soon.